All right, so we're going to go into Luke chapter 24. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. It says, Now, on the first day of the week, the early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, and while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And when the women were terrified and bowed their faces on the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day, <clears throat> rise again. And they remembered his words. And when they returned from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the rest of the women with them were there. They were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, as they were not believing them. But Peter stood up and ran to the tomb, and, stood, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen wrap, wrappings only. And he went away by himself, marveling at what had happened. God, we thank you that we can gather together today on this day that we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may we glorify your name as we've sung praises to you, as we worship you, God, through the songs that we've sung. May we continue to worship you through your word. We thank you that it is truth to us. It is something that we can anchor ourselves to in this world that is decaying around us, this world that is perishing, this world that is lost. When we anchor ourselves to your word, we know it will hold true because it is backed by a faithful God who has spoken it to us. And may we look to your word to enrich us today, to edify us, but also, God, to correct us where we're wrong, to steer us along the right path. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came who bled and died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and who was raised for our justification that we might one day stand before you having been justified in Christ and in him alone. And it's him we celebrate that he is a risen Lord and that he was seated with you at your right hand victorious over death. And so are we, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated and turn with me. Uh, I know you're probably expecting me to say First John. But actually, we're going to go to First Peter this morning. First Peter. <clears throat> um, if you are not familiar with our church and you're a guest this morning, we want to welcome you to Carlsbad Bible Church. It is good to have you with us this morning. Um, and we typically teach expository, meaning we go chapter by chapter and verse by verse through one book until we get to the end, and then we choose another book and we go through that in the same fashion. But this morning being Resurrection Sunday, we're going to deviate a little bit from that. So rather than being in 1 John uh, chapter 5, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, and I will be reading verses 3 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. But our teaching today will be confined to verses 3 through 5. But just to put some more context around it, we're going to read through verse 7. All right, looks like most everyone is there with me. Let's read along together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This hope that we are talking about today is a hope that is living. It is a hope that resides in our faith, that Jesus Christ came to do exactly what the Scriptures said that He would do, that He would be our promised Messiah, given to us by God as our Redeemer. And it's a hope that is also expectant of His kingdom coming to this earth. And it is a hope that is now activated in our lives and in our hearts as His being Lord by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And I hope that is the case for every one of you today. But if it is not, uh, we have a time here at the end of the service where we will be sharing more about this gospel message and this living hope that is available to all of us here. How great is this mercy that God has extended to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is because of this great mercy, He does not give us what we deserve. You've probably heard mercy defined that way as us not getting what we deserve. One commentary resource puts it this way, mercy refers to the outward manifestation of pity and assumes a need on the part of the recipient, which is fallen mankind, which is all of us, and the resources adequate to meet that need on the part of the donor, which is God himself. What we deserved, apart from his mercy, was his wrath. But in his great mercy, he has delivered us from his wrath and provided us a way of peace to himself. And the magnitude of this mercy is measured by the size of the gift of grace that he has given us in Christ, in God giving us what we didn't deserve, and that was sending his one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why we proclaim here along with Peter in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to consider what it is that He has done for us, the great cost that it was to God that He would send His one and only Son to die for us, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And He is worthy of all honor. He is worthy of all glory. He is worthy of all of our praise that we could possibly give him as we live out our existence here on this earth. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's an interesting thing for us to say and uh, just that we bless God in some way. I know it might be awkward to say it, but when we read that, we shouldn't understand this as some token, a physical token that we bring to God as if we could bless Him with something that we could offer Him, as if God needed us to bestow some kind of physical blessing upon Him. We are recipients of God's blessings, and primarily the gift of His grace and His mercy, what Peter is writing about to us today. But when we bless God, it is very much akin to praising Him. So when we see that, we should think of our praise and worship to God as our form of blessing Him. The phrase, bless the Lord, is found more in the Old Testament, and especially in the Psalms, um, in the King James translation more than any other. Uh, but in ESV translation also we see Psalm 103, 1-2, through 2, 
It's a psalm of David, and he puts it this way. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And some translations actually render the Hebrew for that phrase, Bless the Lord, saying, Praise the Lord, which means literally to kneel in worship before God. That is how we bless God. It's to kneel in praise and worship unto Him. Whenever we see it going from us to Him, it is about offering up or lavishing praise to God in reverence and awe of Him and what He has done. Unlike God's blessing upon us, which we do not deserve, our blessing God is done with an understanding that He is the true praiseworthy Creator and our Heavenly Father and is deserving of all of our praise and all of our worship. And I envision here, as I read this, that, that we are kneeling before God in praise and worship in him, of Him as we rejoice in His great love for us to the degree that He gave us the greatest gift that has ever been given in Christ, a gift of mercy. And by that mercy, we see Peter continue with us, and he says He has caused us, by His mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So it is according to His mercy that He has caused us to be born again. God, by His Holy Spirit, moves upon the human heart in a saving way by His grace, where there's a transformation that occurs. It is an awakening of a dead heart. Before we came to faith in Christ, our hearts were dead. They were lost and dead and perishing in sin. There is no work that we could perform. There is no righteous act that is done by us that could possibly earn us His salvation. Peter says He has caused us to be born again. Not we have willed ourselves into it. We have caused ourselves, but God has caused us. Salvation is a miracle of God performed on sinners. We don't contribute to our salvation. We are described by Paul often in Romans as dead in our trespasses and sin. You don't see someone who has died of cardiac arrest, is laying on the ground having died of a heart attack, suddenly lift their arms up and put their hands on their chest and start giving themselves compressions. It requires someone outside of them to come and act, act on them in an external way to revive them, and so it is with our salvation. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot resuscitate ourselves, revive ourselves again. God, by His mercy and grace, acts upon us to save us. A similar verse is found in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, if you want to turn there with me. Titus 3, verses 4 through 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not according to works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So God, in His goodness and His loving kindness, sent our Savior to act upon us in a saving way by His grace to transform us, not by works done by us in righteousness, but it is according to His own mercy and is by the washing and regeneration of the renewal of the Holy Spirit 
I don't see me as being a contributor in any of this. Over and over again, Scripture makes it clear that our contribution towards our salvation is nothing. It is God who saves. We quote this verse over and over, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, that says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is by His grace alone. It is through faith in Christ alone, not according to works, but according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. One more verse concerning that, or a couple of verses here, is in the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. I know we've referred to this verse three or four times in our study of 1 John. But regarding God causing us to be born again, we find similar verses here in 12 and 13 of chapter 1 of John. He says, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. By the will of man and woman, we'll include that here, man and woman, we are born physically, right? We, we know that we are born of blood, we are born of the flesh naturally, but our spiritual rebirth involves the work of God moving on our hearts in a saving way by His grace. And the product is a transformation. But we see we were born not of blood or the will of the flesh. This is a spiritual rebirth that it's talking about. We're not born of the will of man. Man cannot will himself into this, but it is of God doing that transforming work. It's a spiritual new birth. And yes, physically, we are born. We understand that. But we are born to live for a period of time that God has appointed for us, and then we are all also appointed to die. But spiritually, we are born again never to die. We are not contributors, but the receivers of His salvation. I guess if, if we do contribute anything, we contribute our sin at the foot of the cross as we plead upon His tender mercies to save us. We ask for His forgiveness and repent of our sin out of a transformed heart. But God is the provider and the causer of our salvation. Peter continues here. Read this again. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We were not born again spiritually to die again spiritually. Unlike physical birth and then death, we are spiritually reborn to a living hope. And living is in the active voice here, and it is a hope that has life in it and is a continuance of life in this hope. This hope is fixed heavenward, where Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, is seated at the right hand of the Father. Our hope rests in Him and His completed work on the cross. Jesus did not stay in the grave, and if He had, He could not say that all was accomplished or it is finished, tetelestai, that means debt paid in full. His sacrifice would not be sufficient if He had not risen and defeated death. We would still be dead in our trespasses and sin. There would be no hope for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 20, Paul says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, 
then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. It all hinges on the resurrection. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is how Peter writes it. Without his defeating death by rising again, we would not be justified before our holy God. We would have any right to stand before him without Christ having bought our redemption having standing before God, being completely justified. Justification is crucial, and if he had not defeated death, then justification would not exist for us. Christ's sacrifice was declared to be worthy by God through his resurrection from the dead. His death demonstrated that he was fully man, and his rising again demonstrated that he was fully God. And therefore, in Christ, we are fully justified. Romans 4, 23-25 But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Our rebirth to this living hope happens through His resurrection. His shed blood was necessary for our atonement to appease the wrath of God, but through His resurrection, He was counted worthy. As the saints will sing of of Jesus in Revelation, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. We go from a dark dungeon of our sin and lost state and into a marvelous light of His salvation, completed in His resurrection from the dead. Colossians 1, 13-14, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What awaits? Uh, let me back up here. I got a little head in my notes. <laughs> but we take part in a physical baptism. And in fact, our church will be celebrating several of them come the end of this month. And we always try to make it clear that it is not this immersion and coming out of physical water that what save you, but rather it is symbolic of what Christ has already done for us by saving us. They have, that we have died to sin is a representation of our going into the water, having gone into being buried with Christ, and then we are raised up, resurrected with Him into this new life and this living hope. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we are justified by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And Peter writes in verse 4 of our reading today, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What awaits the one who has been born again into this living hope is an inheritance. And this is unlike anything we could be promised here on this earth. 
our Savior is living and He has already revealed to us in His Word what awaits those who are His. Only a child receives an inheritance and we are made God's children through Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us in John chapter 14 that He goes and He prepares a dwelling place for us there. In His Father's house are many rooms and He goes to prepare a place for us. And He says if it were not so that He would not have told us this. And if I make out a will... And let's just say I want to pass along my home to my children, then that possession is mine, but when I pass, when I die, I leave that as an inheritance to them, and now they possess it. But because we all must die a physical death, and none of us can escape that, that inheritance is not going to be theirs anymore when they die. Heaven is eternal because God is eternal. We are promised in Scripture that the world will pass away that is fading, and it certainly is defiled with sin. We can see that. We don't have to look very far to see that. But heaven is the exact opposite of all those things that this world is to us. And as Peter writes these things that heaven is, the imperishable, the undefiled, the unfading kept in heaven for us, we could do a comparison of those words with the adjectives that we would use to describe the world. If heaven is imperishable, what is this world? It is perishing. It will soon pass. If heaven is undefiled, what is this world? It's defiled. It's stained with sin. It's fallen. It's corrupted. And if heaven is unfading, what is this world? In 1 John, we've, we've studied it already. This world is passing away and all that it is in it. If the heaven we are promised were like the world, then why should we leave this world? You know, just leave your best life now. I think that's a title of a book somewhere. <laughs> but for Christian, this is not our best life now. It's far from it. Our eternity is far and away greater than anything we could have or experience here on this earth. We can allow ourselves to get so discouraged by it, though. You know, I, I, speaking for myself here, we can allow ourselves to get so weighted down and burdened, even saddened by it when we look at the things going on in the world around us. But as believers, we are called to fix our gaze heavenward because heaven is our eternal inheritance. Getting to be in the presence of God is what awaits us and it is said that it is kept in heaven for us, the dwelling place prepared for us by Jesus Christ, our Savior. I want to read this entire passage again since it is such a short passage. We're going to continue picking back up where we left off. I'm going to go back to verse 3 because I think it's a good opportunity to bless and praise God again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And I realize that, you know, coming to church and just speaking to a group of congregants and those who are the body of Christ that many of you here may not actually be saved. You know, only God really knows your heart. So I know I may not be talking to every one of you when I say this, but if you know Christ as your Savior, heaven is your home. And not only is it being kept for you, you are being kept for it. You are the one being referred to here when Peter says that our inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept for you 
in heaven, you are the one that verse 5 is being applied to. We, his children, are the ones that verse 5 is applied to. It's being kept in heaven for you, verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And that's a wonderful thing to consider. That by God's sovereignty, your imperishable soul is being kept. It is being guarded through faith in all that was accomplished and all that will be. And to draw on a verse that we looked at last week in our study of 1 John 5, in verse 4 it says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And it's not just any faith. You know, in James we're told that even the demons will give an assent to God and at least acknowledge that He exists. That's a type of faith, but that's not a saving faith. The faith that we're talking about here, the faith is in a living hope. It's a saving faith, and it's a one that holds steady and does not give up when difficulties come. It's one that demonstrates its genuineness by a loving service to God and His people. Faith in a salvation that is accomplished by His power to keep and preserve what He has called His. In 1 Corinthians 15, 53-57, Paul writes to us, This perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality... Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty three and 57. Salvation is for us right now. You know, we don't have to wait to be saved when we arrive at, at heaven's gates, if you want to call it that. That there is a judgment, but for those who are perishing into eternity, he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. But for those who are found in Christ, who are justified through his resurrection, it will be, enter in, well done, my good and faithful servant. So it is a salvation that is now. It's accomplished by Jesus Christ, our Savior. But the full reality of this salvation is still to come. Ready to be revealed in the last time is what Peter writes. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Paul is saying fully known is he is saved but there is that separation, there is that distance. We are not, have not arrived in heaven yet. We are still in this world, even though we are not of it. So we're only seeing in this mirror dimly, dimly. So heaven is yet to be fully realized. But then one day when that perishable puts on the imperishable, we shall behold our Savior, the one who bled and died and conquered the grave so that we may one day be in heaven in eternity forevermore. For those who are inheritors of heaven, who are recipients of His mercy, He will bring us into His presence without shame and without fear in judgment. And there is a hymn that we sang often when I was a music minister at a small Baptist church here locally in Carlsbad, and it was titled Face to Face with Christ my Savior. And it came to mind as I was pondering this verse. One of the verses says, Only faintly now I see Him with the darkened veil between, but a blessed day is coming when His glory shall be seen. What rejoicing in His presence when the banished grief 
when our banished grief and pain, when the crooked ways are straightened and the dark things shall be plain. As heirs of His promise, no one can take it away from us. You know, someone could come along and take away my kids' inheritance. I, I see all the time relatives bickering and arguing over the inheritance that they've received from a relative and they're trying to take it away from one another as if trying to steal it away that belongs to me all of these worldly goods that they're seeking after they can be stolen away we see crooked lawyers and crooked accountants steal away people's inheritance all the time but unlike this world heaven is promised to us by a god that never changes his mind a god that is entirely faithful No one can come in and claim it in our place. No one except God can grant it. And no one can take it away because it is kept by the power of His almighty hand. In closing, I think most of us here know the purpose of our coming together today or whenever we're here, but particularly on a Resurrection Sunday, it is to praise and worship and glorify God for sending His Son to this earth Jesus lived a perfect life. He was tempted in all things, yet he proved himself sinless. Another reason we know he was fully God. He proved himself as God, having come in the flesh for the purpose of redeeming us to himself, to make a way of peace with God the Father. And Christ's sacrifice fully appeased the Father's wrath towards our sin by taking the sins of the world and becoming the sacrificial lamb on our behalf. John the Baptist would say of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And He suffered and He bled and He died the death that you deserved. But it didn't end with His death. And if it had, then we wouldn't have anything to celebrate today. No, He rose three days later victoriously from the tomb. And eyewitnesses testified to it. Many even endured suffering and death faithfully proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and he ascended to the father and he is now seated at his right hand and he is interceding for us and he is ready to take God's children to an eternal inheritance prepared for those who have professed their faith in all that our savior has accomplished through his death and resurrection from the dead earlier i'd said that i hoped all of us here trusted in Jesus Christ as our lord and savior have repented of our sin But sadly, this day is no reason to celebrate for the one who does not know God. And many are are or will be gathering with family and with friends and maybe having a, a fun time doing traditional Easter things, giving no thought to an eternity that awaits them. And no one wants to dwell on the consequences of sin. We don't want to talk about the wrath of God. In fact, the one of the songs that we just sang. Um, in Christ alone. There's one verse there that talks about Christ's sacrifice uh, being satisfactory, satisfying the wrath of God. And there are some churches that sing that song, but they exclude that verse. But how do we know what we need to be saved from if we don't know what it is? It is the wrath of God from which we are being saved. That is the consequences of our sin. And that an unrepentant sinner, and I realize we're all sinners, but I'm talking about an unrepentant sinner will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And sadly, what awaits them is a place described by Jesus himself where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for eternity. Jesus speaks of those in John chapter 8 
who are of their father, the devil. That he is the father of lies. And those that were following Jesus just for the purpose of witnessing his miracles, but not acknowledging him as their Messiah that was come, Jesus said of them that they're of their father, the devil. And as children of their father, they have an inheritance too. Only it is what Scripture describes as unquenchable fire. In Luke 3.17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Those of us who are saved, we don't look forward to witnessing the destruction of the lost. I sure hope that we don't. I hope that this is what urges us, what compels us to go out and share the gospel with those who are unsaved. And our plea is that you are awakened to the consequences of sin and that God, by His grace, would move upon your heart, awakening you to put your faith in Him and Him alone. He's the only one that can save you and bring you into His kingdom. Call upon God. Plead upon His tender mercies before it is too late. Come and be seated at His table. And Revelation is described as the marriage supper of the Lamb. You want to be part of that. Let this become reality for you today. Salvation is for today. What a celebration that would be for your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life on Resurrection Sunday. Become an inheritor of his promise. Enter into a living hope because his salvation is real, because it is a real Savior that is risen. His word is true and he is faithful to save because he is risen and because he lives. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you that we can celebrate this if we know you. And God, for those who are your children, as I just mentioned, help us to to be burdened by those that are lost around us. God, maybe they're even here in this church. Maybe they're in our families. Maybe they're in our workplaces, wherever they are, God, just move in our hearts to be stirred to tell them with confidence of the reason for the hope that we have within us, that Christ came and that he was fully God and that he was fully man and that he took our sins to the cross, that he died for every one of them, for those who put their faith in his completed and finished work on the cross and believe that he rose again from the dead, that they will be saved pray that their hearts will be moved towards repentance, repenting from everything that's held them in bondage, that's held them in death's way, and they would turn to a living Savior who is able to save. We thank you, God, that we can rejoice in that, and that we can worship, we can praise you, we can bless your holy name. And it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.